By the way, I love the military. Is this military or what? We're going to take care of the military. I will rebuild our military. It will be so strong and so powerful and so great. It started so differently. Donald Trump, the president and commander-in-chief, seemed to fawn over the U.S. military. But there's nothing more important than our military. But now, that seems to have changed. President Trump has, in many ways, kind of moved on from his love affair with the military. We hear from one of the most distinguished military figures in America about why, weeks from the election, a core part of the Republican base is rethinking its vote. I don't think he can look at the military as a strong political base. I think his support is, in fact, slipping among military. You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, suckers and losers. President Trump's war with the military. Fox News alert, the president just arriving back from Pennsylvania and responding to an explosive report in the Atlantic claiming the president disparaged Marine Corps war heroes from the Battle of Below Wood during World War One. The story claims that the president didn't join his then chief of staff, John Kelly, on the trip because those World War One men were losers and suckers. A fortnight ago, a story in the Atlantic magazine burst onto the American political landscape and hijacked the news cycle. Disparaging comments about America's fallen troops, including calling U.S. Marines killed in World War I, quote, losers and suckers. Losers and suckers. Losers and suckers. If these statements are true, the president should humbly apologize to every gold star mother and father and every blue star family that he's denigrated and insulted. Who the heck does he think he is? Well, the president is furious. He stepped off Air Force One last night fuming. It's a total lie. It's fake news. It's a disgrace. This story dropped on a Thursday night, quite late. And look, I'm used to, even in the relatively small time I've been doing this job, I'm used to big stories about things Donald Trump has allegedly done or said, dropping late at night, and people on Twitter perhaps getting a bit excited, Democrats getting excited, journalists getting excited, and then by the next day, the circus has moved on. But it was pretty clear instantly that this was something rather more serious. That's Henry Zeffman, the Washington correspondent for The Times. So the Atlantic story talked about a visit Donald Trump made with Melania Trump and various fellow American dignitaries to France in 2018. And the purpose of the visit, in part, was to visit a military ceremony, American war graves, fairly near Paris, 2018 being the 100th anniversary of the end of the First World War. Now, that visit didn't actually end up happening. And at the time, that was a little bit curious. What the Atlantic claimed was that he didn't visit because... It was raining and he didn't want to get his hair wet. Donald Trump says that's not true. He says that actually, you know, the the rain grounded the helicopter and it was, for security reasons, it was impossible to get a motorcade together in fast enough time. In an unusual decision, cancelled his scheduled visit to an American World War I cemetery 
on the grounds of bad weather. Not bad enough to prevent Canada's Prime Minister Justin Trudeau going ahead with his visit to the Canadian war graves near Vimy Ridge. Actually, the hair thing, though funny and though the thing that the Atlantic sort of went into their story on, is not what's endured. What's endured, I think still two weeks on, this is really a major story, is what Donald Trump is said to have said about the fallen soldiers there. I must say I was surprised that he would choose words like suckers and losers. That's Admiral James Stavridis. A former Supreme Allied Commander of NATO and currently operating executive at the Carlyle Group. Having spent almost four decades in the military and having served in one of the most senior military roles in the world, Admiral Stavridis, like so many other veterans, was particularly struck by the Atlantic story. There were reports that he was disinclined to attend the ceremony. The idea that it would mess up his hair was floated out there. All of that just left a a terrible taste in the mouth that he would choose words like suckers and losers. Speaks volumes about how he looks at military service as uh, a transactional relationship between an individual and the nation in which the individual does not come out well in the transaction. And I suppose in terms of uh, money and status and fame, that's true. But in terms of paying the price to serve your nation and being part of something larger than yourself, I would say it pays out very well to serve in the armed forces. So when I saw reports of that day, I was taken aback and saddened to hear a U.S. president make such comments. Just going back to the article, so we we know that he insulted members of the military who'd served, and we know that he didn't turn up to the memorial at the the World War I cemetery. Do we know what he did instead? We do, actually. It left him with six or so hours to kill at the French ambassador's residence in Paris, which is where he was staying. And he seems to have, according to a Reuters report, used the time to wander around the residence, unsurprisingly, and pick out artwork that he wanted to take back with him on Air Force One, which is not the dumb thing because, well, I suppose it's, it's, uh, it's US government property, but it's the property of the, the embassy in France. Anyway, so he found some sort of silver figurines and a bust and a portrait, which later that day, I think it was, uh, made it onto Air Force One, which apparently provoked a bit of difficulty in the US State Department as they tried to make the paperwork work. But, you know, ultimately, he's the president. It's all US government property. And, you know, Donald Trump doesn't doesn't play by the usual rules, as we now know. It was a major revelation by a credible publication and a particularly well-regarded, well-sourced reporter at that publication. In fact, he's the editor of The Atlantic, but, you know, was a reporter beforehand with deep ties to the national security world. It was instantly clear that this was not a story that could just be cast aside easily. What is it about the, the role of the military in America that just makes that something you don't do? Well, to be fair, I don't think there are many countries where the leader of the country, still less in this case, the commander-in-chief of the forces uh, would be able to say that. But certainly, America has a particular pride in its military, which I think is wrapped up in its general overt patriotism. I mean, I've just got back from a few days in Minnesota, and at my airport motel, there are about three 12-foot American flags within 
I don't know, within two or three minute drive. So, yeah, I think when Donald Trump says that American soldiers who died are losers for having been captured or having been killed or or whatever happened to them, um, you know, it's not just their memories that plenty of Americans will think he's insulting. It's also the kind of American ethos of service to your country of, you know, when you board flights here, it's not just parents with children and people with disabilities who get priority boarding first. It's also active duty service men and women. The military is really at the heart of national life. And that's why, politically at least, it's really not a great thing for the president. You could tell the seriousness of this story by how quickly and adamantly the Trump administration denied it. You know, they really were properly worried by it. You could tell that. The Atlantic reporting is based on four cowardly anonymous sources who probably do not even exist. Meanwhile, within hours, 10 sources, 10, went on the record debunking these lies. So pretty quickly, you've got people who either still work or had previously worked in the Trump administration, many of them saying, I was on that trip. That's not the reason that we didn't fly to the cemetery. The reason was the rain. You had people saying, I've never heard Donald Trump speak in those terms, including some military officials. Even John Bolton, who was Trump's national security advisor at the time, but has subsequently become one of his most public and, and, and persistent critics, he said that he was on that trip and that wasn't how he remembered things. But the real moment, I suppose, that this became really damaging for the president was when Fox News, a conservative TV network, which has generally been supportive of the president, and the president in turn supportive of it, watches it almost all day, confirmed it too. Their very respected national security correspondent said that she had spoken to people who who backed it up. She had a great line, which was, because Donald Trump's main line of attack on this was, how can you trust a story with anonymous sources? And her her line was, well, you know, my sources aren't anonymous to me, and I'm sure they're not anonymous to the president either. I think there are kind of some misconceptions about Fox News. Much of it's the broadcast equivalent of opinion journalism, but they also have a sort of serious reporting staff, and that was borne out when they, you know, they confirmed the same story as The Atlantic. I think that was a really difficult moment for the president, for sure. The problem for Donald Trump is that this does not come out of the blue. I mean, had there been reports of, I suppose, pretty much any other previous American president saying these things and refusing to visit a cemetery for these reasons, you would kind of just go, "Mm, nah, that can't be right. But in this case, it does have a ring of truth or a ring of plausibility, at least. If you go back and look at his on-the-record comments over decades, he has often denigrated the idea of military service. He avoided serving in the war in Vietnam with a a very questionable medical diagnosis of what are called bone spurs in his feet. And throughout his uh, life as a businessman, he would often uh, make comments about uh, military figures, one being Senator John McCain, who he called a loser because he was a prisoner of war. He's not a war hero. He's a war hero. He's a war Five hero. and a half years. He's a war hero because he was captured. I like people that weren't captured, okay? I hate to tell you. And in fact, in that Atlantic story, it had more details of when McCain died in 2018, Trump apparently refusing to lower the White House flag to half-mast, saying, we're not going to support that loser's funeral. What the f*** are we doing that for? Guy was a f- 
f-ing loser. When in fact, Senator McCain was an extraordinarily heroic naval aviator and continued that heroism while a prisoner in the Hanoi Hilton in Vietnam. So there's a long track record here. It wasn't always as acrimonious as this. When Donald Trump was first elected back in 2016, he and the military shared a much warmer relationship. It is a part of the Republican base. The Republican Party looks at itself as the guardian of the military and their place in American life. And just going back a step to the start of the Trump presidency, when he was more popular amongst the military, he similarly seemed to sort of have a, a real fondness for the military. He seemed almost obsessed by senior military figures. Lots of the biggest jobs were given to a long list of very impressive generals. Is it true that President Trump asked you to be Secretary of State? What, what happened? What is true is that on December 8th in 2016, I was invited to Trump Tower for an interview. One of the positions under consideration was, in fact, the Secretary of State. I discussed that with President Trump. I discussed it with Steve Bannon, his strategic communicator at the time, with Reince Priebus, who was his chief of staff. It was a productive conversation in the sense that I got a sense of how that administration was going to operate. Without going into immense detail, I'll say that I was not offered the job of Secretary of State, but that I had a very real opportunity to serve at cabinet level. I chose not to do that. I chose not to do that because I had and continue to have significant policy disagreements with the Trump administration. I'm glad I made that decision. Uh, my friends like General Kelly, General Mattis, General McMaster, General Flynn, I think looking back would uh, perhaps make different decisions. That's for them to say, certainly in none of their cases did it end well in terms of their service with the Trump administration. And what did you make of him as a character when you were having these discussions? I found that he was charming. He was uh, very respectful to me and to my service. I found his attention span was very short. We would try and have a conversation about Russia or Kim Jong-un or uh, other challenges and he would quickly move from topic to topic. And thirdly, I found that the conversation seemed to continue to loop back to domestic political concerns. And when I put all that together, I felt probably not the right place for me to serve. And from your friends who did go into the administration, I mean, what were you hearing about how it functioned? precisely that same set of constraints, that it was an administration deeply focused from day one on how to reelect the government. It was uh, disorganized. It was episodic. Uh, there was very little minute-to-minute -minute conversation that could connect to a longer-term strategic outcome. And I watched General McMaster, National Security Advisor, struggle to put together a national security strategy. I watched General Mattis try and construct a real strategy for uh, the Middle East. I gave our generals all the money they wanted. General Mattis thanked me profusely for getting him $700 billion. Well, what's he done for me? I'm not happy with what he's done in Afghanistan. I hope he does well. 
But as you know, President Obama fired him. And essentially, so did I. I watched General Kelly try to manage the White House as the chief of staff. En route to the Army-Navy game, President Trump announced the West Wing is losing a key player. John Kelly will be leaving, but I don't know if I can say retiring, but he's a great guy. Uh, John Kelly will be leaving uh, at the end of the year. All of them failed, and uh, that's not because they're not highly capable, highly professional officers. It's because the environment was such that it was um, impossible for them to effectively uh, conduct the work that they hoped to do. All of them eventually were fired and left the administration. There was a very long series of resignations and sackings of those very senior generals. And almost inevitably afterwards, there would be a series of, of tweets from the president. How do you think that affected President Trump's standing within the military? I think a problem that President Trump has with the military is firing, sacking, as you would say, senior military, many of whom like General Mattis, are extremely well thought of in the military. All of those generals are very well thought of in the military. And so I think President Trump's approval ratings and popularity with the military, particularly the active duty military in this case, have suffered over the last four years. There seems to have sort of been a series of other controversies along the way. So there was the Navy captain who was sacked for raising concerns about coronavirus. And there was just that sort of image of all of his staff cheering him as he walked off the ship. And mm-hmm. that, I mean, that must have had an impact. And similarly, sort of Colonel Vindman, who testified against President Trump on the details mm-hmm. around the Ukraine scandal and then had to retire because he said the administration was vengeful, effectively. I mean, how did they play out across America? As you say, both of those are examples of a perception in the military of the administration reaching into, in this case, the military justice system, the military discipline system, and doing things for political benefit. In addition to the two examples you gave, you might remember early last fall, there was a case of a U.S. Navy SEAL chief petty officer who was accused of significant war crimes, ultimately convicted of one of those, posing with a corpse, was about to be disciplined. The trial began when the decorated Navy chief was accused of killing a wounded Iraqi prisoner and shooting at unarmed civilians during his deployment in 2017. Over the two-week trial, prosecutors called members of Gallagher's own SEAL team who described him as unhinged. The Navy SEAL, Eddie Gallagher, was found guilty of war crimes in a military court after pictures emerged of him posing with the corpse of a teenage ISIS fighter who he'd killed with a hunting knife. His fellow SEALs described him as evil, toxic, and willing to kill anything that moved. So the military was stunned when President Trump decided to grant him a pardon. This small group of SEALs that decided to uh, concoct this story in no way, shape, or form represent the community that I've you know, loved and uh, gave my soul to. President Trump, a vocal supporter, congratulated the SEAL, tweeting, glad I could help, referencing a pre-trial order that Gallagher be moved to less restrictive confinement. I want to say thank you to uh, Congressman Duncan Hunter and Congressman Ralph Norman, and also to uh, President Trump for uh, intervening when he did. 
President Trump simply reached in and ordered that he receive no punishment and then brought that disgraced military individual to Mar-a-Lago for a Christmas celebration. As many of us said at the time, if you want to bring military to a Christmas celebration in Mar-a-Lago, why don't you bring those who have earned medals, who have saved their fellows on the battlefield, who have fought for the country without being accused of war crimes. The president chose otherwise because he felt that could appeal to his base in some way that is difficult for many of us to understand. So yes, uh, another aspect of the Trump relationship with the military is exactly as you say, the tendency to reach into the disciplinary systems, to reach into the judicial systems in the military with an eye toward a political calculus. And it didn't stop there. As Henry Zeffman explains, relations have become more and more strained. One of the recent reports which really challenged Donald Trump's relationship with the military was a story, I think, first reported by the New York Times, but again, quickly backed up elsewhere, which said that Donald Trump had been warned that Russia was offering Taliban or Taliban-linked forces bounties to kill American forces in Afghanistan. Donald Trump sort of denies this, although in different ways most times. Turned out that Trump had been told about this and had neglected to sort of take it up with Russia. And it just plays into generally one of the main elements of public scepticism about Trump, which is Russia and his softness on Russia you know, what military types would see as a weakness towards America's adversaries. And I suppose these guys are on the front line fighting these adversaries. And President Trump, in this case, not appearing inclined to reprimand Putin for trying to get American soldiers killed. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Relations have continued to deteriorate. On the very day that the report in The Atlantic was released, the military were being told that President Trump was planning to cancel the Stars and Stripes, the military newspaper. The Stars and Stripes newspaper is a very small thing. It's just over $10 million a year, which in the context of a U.S. defense budget of $700 billion is not even a drop in the bucket. It's a molecule in the bucket. And it was going to be canceled, but it was popular 
among the troops because it's the small newspaper that is distributed universally. It goes to our troops in Japan, in South Korea, in Afghanistan, in Iraq. It's very well regarded. President Trump did reverse that decision. And I think perhaps that was an attempt to gain some support. But again, it does show you that President Trump has, in many ways, kind of moved on from his love affair with the military. Whilst his actions might imply that the love affair is over, after the Atlantic story broke, President Trump rushed to a microphone to deny it. It's a total lie. It's fake news. And especially since I've done more, I think, than almost anybody to help our military. President Trump even went as far as to declare that nobody loves the military more than him. I think that he has increased defense spending. And for someone like Donald Trump, the metric of affection is how much money do I spend on you? I don't think he realizes that for active duty military, for retired military, for veterans, the right metric is respect. It is a recognition of the sacrifices that are made, a recognition of the service that is offered to the nation. And so I think President Trump thinks he has demonstrated love by spending enormous amounts of money on the military. But in fact, he would be better served to have a sincere respect for the military that's conveyed not only in public speeches, but in his private conversations. His next comments were particularly surprising because although he was denying the reports, he then came out and criticised the most senior levels of the military and effectively accused them of warmongering. I'm not saying the military is in love with me. The soldiers are. The top people in the Pentagon probably aren't because they want to do nothing but fight wars so that all of those wonderful companies that make the bombs and make the planes and make everything else stay happy. Presumably he was talking about people who were sort of at a similarly high level that you'd been at, you know, some of your old colleagues, I imagine. How have those comments gone down? They have gone down very badly because they're completely untrue as follows. No one hates war. No one will do more to avoid war than a soldier or a sailor or an airman. Why? Because we know what war is like up close and personal. And thus, The entire effort of the U.S. Department of Defense is to be credible in a military sense so we can deter other nations and avoid combat. And the notion that senior military officers uh, are looking for a fight is simply nonsense. And secondly, it's deeply offensive to imply that senior military officers are trying to appease some kind of military-industrial complex. And again, I know these officers personally. I am part of uh, private conversations with them. The senior people in the military lead and serve because they care about the country and because they care about the young men and women who volunteer to be part of our armed forces. Are there serious tensions between the military and President Trump now? I think that today... Uh, particularly in a run-up to a U.S. election. The military knows that there is no place for politics in our active duty military. There is uh, a tendency to simply step away, not get engaged. I will reference polling data by the Military Times here in the United States, a fairly 
reputable news organization, which shows that 50% of the active duty military disapprove of President Trump's leadership, about 38% approve of it. That's, uh, we would say in American English, he's underwater by about 12 points as a result. And that in terms of the presidential candidates, the poll shows support for Biden ahead by five to six percentage points. So demonstrably in polling, you see the president's support has declined over the four years of his presidency, despite the fact that he has, in fact, increased defense budgets. I don't think he can look at the military as a strong political base. Is that quite unusual? Because the military does tend to be sort of slightly more Republican-leaning traditionally. Yes, that is correct. And at the start of this administration four years ago, those approval-disapproval numbers were roughly reversed. And so the real question is, why the decline? And the answer is, first, the kind of uh, reporting on private conversations that the president has had, the suckers and losers, and the generals are weak, and they're all part of warmongering. That has frayed his support. Secondly, many in the military don't agree with some of the policy decisions that the administration is taking, notably the abrupt withdrawal, for example, of about half of our forces in Iraq. Um, The idea of pulling out completely from Afghanistan. Um, These are places where our soldiers have fought and died. They've lost many comrades. It feels premature to simply turn and walk away from those conflicts. So there's a policy disagreement, I would say, between many in the active duty force and the president. For those two reasons, I think his support is in fact slipping among military. plays straight into Joe Biden's hands. Almost the entire four-day Democratic convention was given over to casting him as a decent man, uh, a man dedicated to service, although, like Trump, didn't serve in the army. He actually, most powerfully, talked about his late son, Beau, who died uh, a few years ago in his 40s of brain cancer, who served a tour in Iraq. And, you know, he said Beau was not a sucker or a loser the people who served with Bo were not either. So, you know, it, it, it plays straight into Joe Biden's hands politically, but it's also the sort of ground on which he's strongest. So it just accentuates the contrast between the two of them, I think. I think this is an important story in those terms. I think it is really important to know, you know, the character of someone who is in, you know, the most powerful elected position in the world. been listening to Stories of Our Times with me, Manveen Rana, and my guests, the former Supreme Allied Commander of NATO, Admiral James Stavridis, and the Times Washington correspondent, Henry Zeffman. You can read more of Henry's work at thetimes.co.uk or in print. The producers today were Oliver Adamson and Brenna Daldorf. The executive producer is Poppy Damon. Sound design was by Carla Batella. Music by Breakmaster Cylinder and Ketzer. If you liked what you heard, please do leave us a review. It'll help others to find the podcast. 
We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, and now we're also on the Times Radio app, along with all the other podcasts from the Times. To download the app, search for Times Radio in the App Store. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlingbranch.com. Code buttery. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.